Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Dan Rogers at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Good evening, everyone. It's a privilege for me to be here tonight. I was at Kubi this morning, and I don't get to do that all that often, so that was fantastic. But I'm here with you guys tonight, and I'm really looking forward to it. Today we're starting a new series called The Heart of Kings, and I get to launch us off as we narrow in on King Saul. You know, he's such an interesting guy. He was the very first king of Israel, and he had so much potential. He started so well, but as we're going to see tonight, he was also a pretty big disappointment, and it didn't end so great for him. Truth is, if you look at this series, the people really didn't need a king. They were a theocracy. They had Yahweh, but that wasn't enough for them. They rejected God as their king because they were jealous of the nations around them. They wanted to be and look like everyone else, which is kind of ironic when you think about their calling. God says, okay, you want a king? You can have a king. But it's not going to go the way that you think it is. In fact, he says, one day you're going to cry out for relief from this king that you have chosen, but I will not answer you in that day. Tells them that before they even get their very first king. It's a reminder to us that every time we put our hope in people instead of the king of kings, it bites us because we're all broken. Every one of us. You put your hope in a person, they're going to let you down. If we look at Saul, we can see that insecurity was a massive part of his brokenness. It crippled him, and in the end, it took everything from him. Because he valued and believed and ultimately obeyed, listened, followed the wrong voice. And that's a key word for us tonight. Something that Samuel emphasizes again and again. What voice are we tuned into? Voice, it's a really important word for us. You know, this is something that's really been highlighted to me over the last year or two as Sebastian's speech has started to improve. We can, we can have conversations now, I, I can talk to him, I can teach him stuff, and it's really helped me understand in a new way the power of words. It's something that Alan Meyer talked about when he was a, he was a couple of weeks ago. He said, I have the, the power to either bless my boy and and to build him up, but I also have the power to make his life miserable. Because so much that he believes has been shaped by me and my voice. So much of what he believes. That he believes that God is good. I mean, just ask him and he'll tell you. But, But why does he believe that God is good? Well, it's because I told him that. I told him that God is good. Now, I'm not really sure that he fully understands all that that means, but he can hear my voice in his head. So if you ask him, he'll tell you that God is good because he, he can hear me and he trusts me. And so he believes it. He even wants to get baptized because we were here for a baptism service a, little, a couple of Fridays ago. It's a bit of a baptism with a twist because he wants to do it like a ninja. I don't really know what that means. All I know is that every time he does the action of getting baptized, he goes on one leg. So I think he wants to get baptized like that. I don't know if that's allowed. It's a big no from us, all right? Big no from us. But he wants to get baptized. Now, there's a whole lot in that that he really doesn't understand, which is why it's a no from us, right? But... When I explained it to him, I told him it was a special thing that Christians do when they believe in Jesus and want to follow Jesus. 
And even though he doesn't understand a whole lot within that, he wants to do it. Because my prayer with him every night is that he would know Jesus and that he would learn to trust Jesus more and more. And so he can hear my voice in his head and he wants to do it. We get it on a simplistic level with children, right? We understand the power of words, the power of our voice. But it's not just him. That's all of us. That there is a correlation between the narrative that we believe in here and the way that we live our lives. So the question is, what voice do we value? What voice do we genuinely believe? What are we tuned into? That's what we're going to look at tonight. But before we go any further, we're going to read our passage. I'm sure she's here somewhere, I know, but Eileen is going to... There you go, beautiful. Would you read that for us? It'll be on the screen for you guys. 1 Samuel 15, 10 to 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. But I, now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Fantastic. So we pick up our story tonight with Samuel hearing the voice of God. 
I find that fascinating because it means that God is the one driving this story. He's not passive. He's, he's an active participant in what's going on. It, it starts with the voice of God. It's going to end with another voice, but it frames this entire passage. So he speaks to Samuel, and what he has to say isn't exactly good news. He says, I regret it. I regret ever making Saul king. And that word literally means to sigh or to breathe strongly because of regret. It's this amazing picture of of God coming before his anointed mouthpiece, Samuel, and sighing. And I can almost see his, his shoulders slump because he knew this was going to happen. To be fair with Saul, it started really, really well. If you read the beginning chapters of Samuel, you think, wow, this guy, he's prophesying, it's going so well. But now he's turned away from God. He's, he's disobeyed his commands. And for that to make sense, we've got to go back to verse 3 earlier on in this chapter, where God sends Samuel to commission Saul. And this is what he has to say. He says, go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. And this is incredibly harsh, but he says, do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. In other words, God is saying, Saul, I'm commissioning you to be my sword of judgment. Be my arm of justice to the Amalekites. So go and and attack them and destroy everything that belongs to them. And even though that's shocking and, and, and hard for us to deal with, it's pretty clear. God says destroy everything. So Saul says, okay. He gathers an army. He sets up an ambush and attacks. He wins the battle of Of course he does. I mean, the Lord is with him, but then he does something incredibly stupid. He takes the best of the sheep and cattle for himself, the spoils of the war. In fact, he takes King Agag as his prisoner so that he can parade him around as a token of his victory. That's what God is referring to. I told him to destroy everything, and he didn't. He's turned back from following me. He has not performed my commandments. It says that Samuel was angry. He was furious. He, He cries out to God all night long. And I think that's because he believed in Saul. Now it hurt him. If you go to chapter 10, Samuel says this about Saul. Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. This is the one. This is the great, if he's tall, dark, handsome, he looked every bit a king, this is the guy. And he failed. That hurts. So much expectation for Saul and yet he failed like everybody else. So the next morning, Samuel rises early. It gives us this sense of urgency. He goes to find Saul, but what he finds instead is a monument. And it's so easy to pass over that, but it's incredibly significant. See, Mount Carmel was considered a high place. It's a technical term for a place of worship. And here is Saul building a monument, not to God, 
but to himself. Can anybody see the issue within that? It's an idol, and it gives us an insight into Saul's heart. I remember Lee Matthews. Everybody knows Lee Matthews, right? The amazing Brisbane Lions coach. I think he played for Richmond or Hawthorne. I don't care. Okay, I only care about time when he's at Brisbane. Anyway, he's an amazing coach. He used to say, if you're really great, you don't have to tell people you're great. They'll tell you. It's a sign of greatness. You don't have to tell people. They'll actually tell you. Well, this is the opposite. And Saul is going out of his way to make sure that everybody knows just how great he is. That's why he's parading King Agag around. And he wanted people to know. Can't you see what I've done? Look at my achievements. Look at this. I defeated the Amalekites. I captured King Agag. It was me. That's why he builds a monument to himself. When in reality... God is the one who elevated Saul. God commissioned him and God gave him the victory. The monument should have been his. It was the only rightful place the monument would be God's. And Saul chose glory over obedience. And it's because he was fueled by a deep sense of insecurity. A deep sense of insecurity. And we can see that as we get back into to verse 13. Saul, Samuel sorry, breaks it open for us and helps us understand what's going on behind it. In verse 13 it says, And Samuel went down, uh, came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. They did it. For the people spared the best of the sheep. And the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? It was the ESV, by the way. Why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? So we get to Gilgal, Samuel finally catches up with Saul, but this is where things really start to unravel for him. And I don't know whether Saul was putting on a brave face or whether he genuinely believed that he was going to get away with it, but he greets Samuel and says, I have performed every command that God has given me. So blessed brother, welcome in, it's great all around. And yet we know that all of that is a lie, and it's not even a good one. I mean, it takes Samuel about five seconds to realize what Saul has done. All he has to do is listen, and he can hear the product of Saul's disobedience. So he calls him out. If that's true, Saul, then then why can I hear the bleating of sheep and, and the lowing of oxen? I mean, God was pretty clear. Not a lot of gray area in what he gave you, so please explain, because none of this should be here. 
And this is where Saul pulls out the oldest trick in the book. He deflects the blame. Kind of like a lightsaber. Boom. Not mine. It's over there. It's heading that way. That's who you need to look at. That's the oldest thing. Since human beings have been around, this is what we've done. You go back to the Garden of Eden. What does Adam say? Don't look at me, God. It was the woman. It's always the woman, by the way. I, I try this one from every time. It doesn't work. Didn't work then. Doesn't work now. My wife doesn't seem to appreciate the fact that I try to throw her under the bus occasionally. But this is essentially what Saul is doing, okay? He says, was it me? Why are you looking at me, Samuel? It, it was them. They took them from the Amalekites. And they only did it because they wanted to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. You're a prophet, aren't you? What do you got against that? Did you, did you want me to stop them from worshipping God? What did you want me to do? It's kind of like he's trying to paint the picture of I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, you want me to stop them from worshipping? What kind of guy do you think I am? But, and we know this because there's actually passages around this, it's all a lie. You go back to verse 9 and it says this, But Saul and the people spared Agag, And the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. It wasn't the people, Saul and his people. He's the one with the authority. He's the one who's being commissioned. This isn't about the people. This is about Saul. He thought that he could change God's plans to serve his purposes. And what's even worse is that he actually thought he could get away with it. It's not just Samuel that he's trying to deceive. It's God. He's trying to deceive God. So Samuel says, enough. And that word literally means to cease. It's blunt. It's harsh. Samuel is saying, listen, just stop. Just stop. Don't talk anymore so that I can tell you what the Lord actually revealed to me, said to me. I want you to, to really narrow in on this because I think this is the root of Saul's disobedience. Samuel says, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go to vote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why then did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? That God opens up Saul's heart and lays it bare. This isn't about lust or, or greed or pride, Saul turned his back on God because he was crippled with insecurity. So he was a Benjamite. If you know anything about the tribe of Benjamin, it was actually the smallest of the 12 tribes of Israel. But then even within that, we're told that Saul comes from the smallest clan from within that tribe. And the sense that we get is that he almost feels like he's a fraud Because of his heritage. Like he just doesn't belong there because he's come from nowhere. Complete obscurity. And it's strange when you think about it. 
The Bible says that he was strong. He was a, a foot taller than anyone else. He was handsome. He was the picture of a king from a human point of view. But he struggled intensely with insecurity. So much so that even after God had chosen him and anointed him and given him authority and power, even after God had commissioned him to be his arm of justice, even after all of that, Saul struggled with this ongoing sense of inadequacy. He just didn't belong. He had something to prove. That insecurity was toxic. It twisted him against God and it made him push away the very voice that spoke worth and value and purpose over his life. And that is the, it's one of the saddest parts about this story that he would actually cast aside the voice of God, the very voice that was giving him everything he so desperately desired. Now, I've said this before, but one of the kind of fundamental things of following Jesus is trust. So much comes back to trust. Do do you trust God? Do Do you trust that he's for you? That he's always working for your best? Part of my story is that as a young person, I didn't. That's why I walked away from God. I know you guys have probably heard some of this. I didn't believe that he was for me. I looked at all that God has for us as Christians and instead of hearing a loving father who was trying to protect me and lead me into joy and into a fullness of life, I saw a list of rules and I heard things that I thought were holding me back from living life to the full because that's what the world was telling me, that that's what my friends were telling me and I believed it. It took me a number of years to figure out that actually the world has no idea what it's talking about. And I still remember the night that it finally clicked. I'd been out clubbing because that's what we did every single weekend. Didn't end well. I found myself trying to walk home as I'm sitting on the side of the road. And I had this moment of clarity where I realized I trusted the wrong voice. I'd been lured away by false advertising. Because it was not what I thought it was going to be. That I'd shut God out and tuned into the world. And because of that, my life was going down the tube. It was just worse and worse and worse. I felt more and more empty. That's where Saul is. He's tuned into the wrong voice. Because ultimately what God said wasn't enough for him. The value that God had given him, the worth that God had given him, the purpose that God had given him, commissioning from wasn't enough for him. He tunes into another voice, but it's destroying him. This is how it finishes in verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. 
Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. We get to verse 20. And amazingly, Saul continues to dig in. He's stubborn and he's sticking to his story, all right? So I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. What do you want from me, Samuel? I did what he asked me to do. I just did it my way. But that's not how obedience works. Obedience is about surrender. I submit myself to the authority of another. And that's not what Saul did. He thought that he could tweak God's plans. But what he didn't understand is that partial obedience is really just disobedience dressed up to look nice, to be acceptable. That's all it is. He contradicts himself in the space of two sentences and ultimately condemns himself because there's no remorse, no repentance. He's just trying to justify himself. All the while continuing to deflect the blame. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was them. And it's almost like Saul had lost sight of the heart of God. Which is why we get to verse 22. And Samuel hits the reset button. It's like he's trying to recalibrate this for Saul to help him understand. I'm not going to bother arguing. I'll just try to help you understand the bigger picture. Let's just, let's just say that all of this is true. And we all know it's not. It's very clear it's not true. All right. But let's just pretend for a second that it is true. Do you really think that God delights in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in those who obey his voice? Do you really think so, Saul? And just in case he had the kind of the, the courage to pipe up and be like, maybe, yes. Samuel answers his own question. Not looking for anything from Saul. The answer is no. That obedience is worth so much more to God than any sacrifice. That's why we get to, to Paul in Romans chapter 12 when he says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And God looks at the heart above all things. Forget your empty sacrifice. What God wanted was for you to listen to and obey his voice. That would have been an act of worship. But it's just not what you did. It's not what Saul did at all. And this is where things get a little tricky. But essentially Samuel is saying rebellion is like the sin of divination because in both cases God's voice isn't enough. 
The word of the Lord, the, the revelation of God isn't enough. So whether you want to know more about the future because you think God hasn't revealed enough to you, or whether or not you just reject the word of the Lord and go your own way, it's still both a rejection of the word of the Lord, God's voice. And the consequence of that rejection is that God then turns around and rejects Saul as king. And the amazing thing is that it's only then It's only when he's faced with the consequences of his disobedience, all that it's going to cost him, that Saul actually repents. He finally comes clean. His story changes distinctly. I have sinned. I transgressed the commandments of the Lord and your words. And this is what everything else in this passage hangs on. Because I feared the people, and obeyed their voice. He didn't fear God, he feared the people. And so instead of obeying the voice of God, he obeyed the voice of the people. And chapter 15 marks the beginning of the end of Saul's reign, and it all comes back to the competing voices in his head. And the voice that he tuned into, the voice that he believed, obeyed. So I wonder, church, what voice are you tuned into? What voice do you believe? What voice matters to you, carries weight with you? What voice are you obeying? And there's a significant truth in this passage for us. That the voice that you obey determines your destiny, shapes the course of your life. And that's what I want to see when I read this passage. The voice you believe will determine your destiny. It matters. It affects things enormously. I want to invite the band to come back up to lead us in worship. Twinkle away. Everybody loves it. I said before that, that for a long time that I'd shut out the voice of God. I was tuned into the world. Here's the good news. When I had that moment of clarity, when I opened myself up to God, here's what I heard. I love you. I don't condemn you. I've already forgiven you. So just come home. It's not what I expected to hear. Really not. But that's what I heard. That's why my favorite story in all of the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. Because in so many ways, I resonate with that story. And I discovered that God was still there, still pursuing me, gently calling me home. That he'd never stopped speaking to me. I just wasn't listening. Or at least I hadn't been for a number of years. I said before, but the saddest part of this entire story that Saul rejected the very voice that gave him the validation he so desperately desired. He pushed it aside so that he could pursue it somewhere else. And God was there giving him worth and value. He just wasn't listening. Or, and this is just as dangerous, it wasn't a voice 
They carried weight with him that he valued. There were other voices that meant more to him. And so he pushed it aside. And it challenges us. What voice are you tuned into you? And we've got to be intentional about this. You, you walk out those doors after tonight and you will be bombarded by the world and what culture has to say. You don't have to actively tune in. It will just bombard you. But what about God's voice? How much time are you giving to God? When is, when is he allowed to speak into your life, into your heart? Do you know his voice? Are you actively listening to his voice? And Jesus said, I have come. Jesus said, sorry, the enemy came to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. Gives you a hint, by the way, as to what he might be trying to speak over your life. And then this is what Jesus responds with, but I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Rick Warren once said, the antidote to the voices of doubt is to instead listen to the voice of God, your loving Father. So if you were to listen, if you were to tune in to what the voice of God might say to you tonight, here's what I think he'd say. You are forgiven. I've chosen you. I have plans for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. I think he'd say, I don't condemn you. I convict you and challenge you because I want you to grow and I want you to go on with me. But I'll never condemn you. I took that on the cross I think he'd say be still and know that I'm God that I'm sovereign over everything you can trust me understand that I'm with you every second of every day I think he'd say come to me all of you who are wearied and burdened and I will give you rest and I'll be your shield your fortress I'll love you forever I'll give you a peace it goes beyond understanding that I am for you. And then I want to lead you into life and into joy. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that I am for you. And if you ever start to doubt that and wonder, all you have to do is look at the cross. And the cross would tell you everything that you need to know. See, unlike King Saul, King Jesus never fails. That he was obedient even unto death. And through his sacrifice, we've been given, which means it can't be taken, that we've been given life and joy and peace and purpose, a worth and a value, given as a gift. We discover what it means to be sons and daughters, to walk with our Father again question is what voice are you tuned into what voice do you believe what voice carries weight with you what voice are you listening to it'll affect the rest of your life it'll shape your life shape your destiny and I would pray that you would give time for God to speak over you and that as you hear his voice that you would allow him to lead you into life because he is for you 
Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are a good God. We know, Jesus, that we're not always faithful to you. You are always faithful to us. Father, forgive us for when we don't even give you a chance to speak. We shut you out. We push you aside. We look for the things that you've already given us in all the wrong places. Father, help us to hear. Help us to listen. Tune into you. May your voice be the voice that guides our light, that leads us. Help us to trust you, Jesus. So much of this comes back to trust. You have already proven yourself to be faithful, already proven yourself to be the very personification of love and grace and mercy and and yet somehow we allow ourselves to be taken away and to start to doubt the very things that have been made plain by the sacrifice that you have made help us to trust you Jesus may we be a people who know the voice of our father our shepherd love the voice of our Father. We're led by the voice of our Father. We listen. This we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.